0: Talk radio. Well, bless the Lord everybody, and welcome to the Word on Wednesday. I am Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries, and I am delighted to be with you tonight to once again minister the word of God to God's people. We got a very very exciting night planned. Uh, as we will uh, continue journeying through Second uh, Samuel, and just so you know it and have your Bibles opened at the right time, we will be in Chapter Three. Um, in previous chapters as well as in First Samuel, we know that uh, this is an unorganized, disunified nation that we're dealing with. We understand that they are a nation who has called for a king, has experienced a king, and that king has died. We further know that God has anointed a king because Saul was a king that man brought forth. But now we come to David. Uh, during the latter part of the book, we looked at David's struggles and how Saul was trying to kill him and how he, all the things that he went through. And these things that he went through were in preparation for him to ascend to the throne. We've gone through all of that. We've, we've looked and we've seen that, that he's mourned, um, uh Saul and Jonathan, as they have died at the hands of the philistines uh we've looked at what happened to the a young man who came along with with saul 's armor uh, with his with with his uh his uh, uh his crown and his band and and what happened to him and now we are looking at one of saul's descendants, and that's what we 're going to pick up tonight in chapter three um the other thing is that we saw the struggles that had begun between David and Ishbosheth, one of Saul's sons. Uh, we've been introduced to a character by the name of Abner, and we've seen what happened with his uh, Abner and Asahel and and um, his other cousin. We've we've looked at those characters very very briefly, and they'll be more prominent as we go along tonight. Um, furthermore we're going to see and the big thing that thing that we will see as we study through this book is we will see how god is bringing the tribes of israel together to form them into one nation that's what we're going to, that's what we'll be looking at tonight that's the theme and there's a reason for everything that, that that God is doing, you know, you you God does so, so much behind the scenes because he's got a plan, and tonight, one of the things that I want to share with you is, a lot of the things that's going on in your life is because God has a plan for you, amen? So um, before we get into I- I- any further, let's have a word of prayer, and then I want to extend an invitation to perhaps some of those who are out there who, who don't know Jesus. I want to extend an invitation to you uh, to, to accept Jesus. So let's, let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, in Jesus' name we come to say thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you because your word is powerful. Your word is sharp. Your word penetrates. Your word will Cure what ails us. And tonight, Father, many of us come with ailments, not just physical ailments, but spiritual ailments. And so we ask in Jesus' name that you would allow your word to get into our spirits, that you would allow your word to impact our hearts in such a way that we align ourselves with you. Our goal, Father, is not to just know about you, but to know you to experience you, to walk with you, to fellowship with you. And we want to do that because we want to be with you. We want to enjoin you in mission. We want to enjoin you in your work. We want to, you to be pleased with us. We want our faith so strong in you that our obedience is instant. So help us, Father, to by, by the power of your word to to be pleasing in your sight. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something real quick, those of you who who don't know Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. When Jesus died on Calvary, he died to pay for your sins. And in his death, what God has done is he's received him as the payment for your sins. And the message of the gospel is that your sins are forgiven and that you can have fellowship with God and that God has a plan for your life and the end of the plan is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all you need to do to receive this eternal life, all you need to do to have fellowship with God is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus himself has died for your sin. if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you can be saved today. And so what do I need to do? You need to just say it. You know, we say confess. Say it. That's all you do when you confess. You say the same as God has said, and that is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I ask him to be my Savior. And then once you do that, you're saved. You want to Turn away from what you're doing right now to follow after Jesus. That's the the repentance part. You're repenting of your sins. You're like, hey, I'm leaving that alone. I ain't doing it no more. I'm going after Jesus. And And Jesus, when you follow Jesus, he'll give you the power to walk away from a whole lot of stuff. It's not you that's walking away from it. It's the power of God that he places within you that releases you from the power of sin. And so, if you made that confession, then I want you to do one other thing. I want you to find another Christian or a pastor, a church. I want you to find somebody who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and ask them and tell them that, hey, you know what? I gave my life to Christ. And in giving my life to Christ, there's a lot of other things that I need to know. And so, if you could, can you help me? Can you help me learn more about salvation? pastor, a church, uh, somebody is there waiting to help you learn more about Jesus. That's what you need to do. Get with a Bible-believing church, a Bible-believing pastor, and watch them help you grow in Christ and watch them help you understand better your salvation. Will you do that? Bless you. Okay, with that said, let's get into the Word of God tonight. And the title of tonight's lesson is, who is your king? That's, that's the title of tonight's lesson. Who is your king? And if you go to 2 Samuel, the third chapter, we'll start reading right there. 2 Samuel, chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to uh, instead of read start at verse one. Yeah, I'm gonna start at verse one. No, let me go. Let me do this. Let me start reading so I pick up the storyline for you at verse thirty, and then move right into chapter three, verse one. It reads like this, and I'm reading from the NIV. Then Joab returned from pursuing Abner and assembled all his men. Besides Ashael, 19 of David's men were found missing, but David's men had killed 360 Benjamites who were with Abner. They took Ashael and buried him in his father's tomb at Bethlehem. Then Joab and his men marched all night and arrived at Hebron by daybreak. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon, the son of Ahinoam of Jezreel. His second, Kilib, the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. The third, Absalom, the son of Makah, daughter of Telmi, king of Geshur the fourth Adonijah, the son of Hagith, the fifth Shepatiah, the son of Abital; and the sixth Ithrium, the son of David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. So to pick up on the storyline that we had last week, or week before last, rather, um, there had been a war going on because Abner places Ishbosheth. On the throne of Israel. Ishbosheth is, watch my words now, Israel's appointed king. Israel's appointed king. He is placed on the throne by a man. Okay? And this appointed king. And God's anointed king, who has not ascended to the throne of Israel. As a matter of fact, right now he is the king of Judah. And this king is begin to war. And it remember back at the uh, at the pool where the twelve men. Were, were picked from each side, and they stabbed each other, and then everybody jumped in, and it becomes this great free-for-all, and, and Abner and Ashael, Ashael is trying to, to, to get to Abner, and, and Abner is basically telling them, boy, you better leave me alone. And he tells them, why don't you, if you're going to come up on me, you need a weapon because you don't have a weapon all you got. You're just running up on me. And so he he tells him, why don't you get a weapon from one of the other guys and then come see me? That's essentially what that conversation says. But in the meantime, he won't stop pursuing them. And so Abner winds up killing him by just striking him with the butt of his sword or, or his spear, rather, and it runs right through him. And this infuriates, uh, excuse me, um, yeah, Abner did and Joab, yeah. Boy, I'm getting, I get all, it's so many names, I'll get them mixed up from time to time. And Joab and Abner, they get into it really tough. And it's getting so bad, and so many people are dying, and the pursuit is so hot that finally he appeals to him, and Joab turns around and walks away. So now we get to a point where the war is continuing. And what we see is that. Um, the house of David versus the house of Ishbosheth. These are not Israel versus Judah. These are two families feuding. And it gets to a point where uh, something's got to be done. And the decision has got to be made who is going to be the king this first part tells us that first of all that David is winning because it says his house is growing stronger and stronger and the implications are more people are siding with David and not only that but David is winning these skirmishes that they're having and Ishbosheth the house of Ishbosheth the house of Saul is losing and literally what we see happening here is is God's promise being fulfilled because God has taken the kingdom away from Saul. Remember that, that we discussed that back in, um, back in 1 Samuel where he told where, where God told, where God told Saul, nope, you won't listen to my word, you reject my word, and I'm rejecting you. There won't be a dynasty here. This is what we're seeing here played out in, on the pages of Scripture, so now what I want to do is I want to show you how this plays out even further, because you see this genealogy, and you think that this genealogy or means nothing, but it does mean something, because if we look at it, it says, sons were born to David and Hebron. Now, look look what's happening. Ahimahim of Jezreel, Keleb, the son of Abigail, Absalom, the son of Makah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Jeshur, what David is doing, he's already in the previous chapter, he's already been courting the men of Jabesh-Gilead. He's already asked God if he could move into Hebron. And so all of those areas now are loyal to David. They're looking more at David as a king. And then he does some political things. Look, he strengthens himself in the south by marrying the, this woman from Jezreel. And then he further strengthens himself because he's already married uh, Abigail, who is of Carmel. So those people in those villages around there are leaning lean toward David. Um, but then this third one, Absalom, the son of Makkah, daughter of Talmai, king of Jeshua. So now think about this. Now here is Ishbosheth who's in the land of Benjamin, that is on the northern border of Judah. Okay, the land, the territory given by them is on the northern border of Judah. So David is strengthening himself through these marital alliances in the south, and then he takes a woman... From Jeshur, which is north of Benjamin's in heaven uh, uh, inheritance. So what David is literally doing is he's putting Ishbosheth in a sandwich. So there's pressure from the king of Jeshur, and there's pressure coming up from those loyal to David in the south. So literally, what he's doing is he's putting him in a political and military vice, and he 's going to squeeze him in those areas and and so David shows that he's he 's really smart. what does he do? He consolidates his territory and then he expands his territory that 's what we can get out of uh, in, in a preliminary look at this this passage, but it goes even further and look at some of the names here amnon. Absalom, they'll come back up later on in our story. So just remember them, that these were sons born in Hebron. Now, you might ask the question, why David taking so many wives, and and he's supposed to be the model king. Aren't we supposed to have uh, 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 just one wife? Well, uh, in Deuteronomy 17, it talks about the... um, the obligations of a king, the uh how a king should act. And if when you read it, I think it's let's let's just turn over that real quick. Let's turn over that really, really quick. Deuteronomy chapter seventeen. Yeah. It says Look at verse 17. It says, He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. And so I, I got kind of confused. I said, so he could take more than one. Does that mean he could take more than one? And so I began to consult the text a little bit more, and it says he must not multiply wives. And so it seems from the reading of the Scripture that it was all right for the king to have more than one wife. So David is still within the boundaries of the law as a king. And you'll see that others throughout this time had multiple wives also. But in the Christian faith, we believe that you should only have one wife. We are not going to promote polygamy. We are a, Ours is a relationship with God where we honor him by only having one. One wife. That's all you get. That's all you get. And I'm telling you, when God blesses you with a wife, that's all you need. One is more than enough. And and somebody might say, well, you're making fun. No, Mm mm-mm. You get the right wife? Woo. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, because I'll tell anybody. If God made anything better than a good wife, he has it on reserve in heaven. A good wife is the best thing you could have this side of heaven. Trust me on that. So, anyway, so he's still within the boundaries of the law, and he hasn't done anything wrong at this point in time. And so everything is good. He, again, he's consolidating by marriages, through his marriages. Now, let's go on to verse 6. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Ai. Remember this person now. This is a name that you want to if you if you're following along in your bibles and you got a highlighter um, highlight this 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 woman because she's going to come up again she had, now Saul had a concubine verse 7 named Rizpah daughter of Aiah and Ishbosheth said to Abner why did you sleep with my father's concubine Abner was very angry because of what Ishbosheth said and he answered Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day I am loyal to the house of your family, to your father Saul, and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David, yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman. May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath, and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. Ishbosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him. Now, so what happens here? The, the, this passage tells us that Ishbosheth was a weak king. He had been placed on the throne by Abner, and the real power in Israel was not Ishbosheth, but Abner. And it says that Abner was strengthening his own position. And so people were beginning to come to Abner for everything. Rather than come to the king, they were basically saying, well, you know he ain't running nothing. He's just a puppet. We go into the power. And the power behind the throne is Abner. So, what happens is Ishbosheth accuses Abner of sleeping with one of his father's concubines. Now, let me tell you what a concubine was, first of all. A concubine was a slave or a servant. That the master regularly had sexual relations with. And, you know, depending on the size of your harem, I mean, you could have two of them or you could have, you know, a, a king, you could have a bunch of them. But they were there, they they, if they had kids, the kids didn't have the privilege of a son or a daughter. And we, uh, they couldn't inherit anything. They were not a part of the heir. They could be the king's kid, but because he was born through a concubine, they weren't in line to receive anything. When you go back and you see um, uh, Isaac and uh, Ishmael, Ishmael, I think it's him. Ooh, I got so many characters. When you go back and see that, um, ooh, I got to look back now. Is it Ishmael? Yeah, it was Ishmael, I think it is. Yeah, it is Ishmael. When you see what Ishmael, who is Abraham's son, who was sent away, he was sent away because he was the child of Sarah's concubine. He was the child of Sarah's concubine. It was one of Sarah's servants that was given, and so he had no part in the inheritance at all. Now he they, and and God would later come to him in the desert and when he was about to die and says okay I'm gonna do something for him I'm gonna save him blah 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 blah. But that's what a concubine was merely for sex could come along if the, if the if there was a child if the uh, mother was uh, barren and she could take and get a sur- she could be used as a surrogate so uh, the the that name would be perpetuated. But in this case that's not it. Now Saul's concubine and what um, Ishbosheth is accusing Abner of doing—it's particularly important that uh, that we understand what he's accusing Abner of. When you slept with another man's concubine, what you were saying was you were taking his inheritance. So. When Abner, when, he, when Ish-bosheth is saying to Abner that, I am, that you slept with my concubine, what he is literally saying is, you are trying to steal my inheritance. Now, we'll see this played out again in, in 2 Samuel later on with, and, and I, don't want to, I, don't want, I don't want to get there before it's, it's our time, but we'll see this concept again. So, remember... When a man comes along to sleep with another man's concubine, what he is basically saying is, I'm taking your stuff. I'm taking your inheritance. And this is what ish is accusing Abner of doing. So Abner's like, what? Uh-uh. We're going we're to do something now you ain't the king, I'm going to come along and I'm going to decide who the king of Israel will be. And I've decided that it's going to be David. You see, in in 1 Samuel, what we saw is God's appointed going around anointing kings. In 2 Samuel, now we see a man who thinks he's so powerful that he can anoint and choose the king of Israel. He become, he, Abner thinks that he's the king maker. And the question that, and, and he, that I want to ask is, who's your king? Who have you decided is going to be your king? That that's the question that's that's in this text tonight. Who's going to be the king of Israel? Watch this. Watch this. Watch, watch this real quick. Oh, and by the way, I'm 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 way ahead of myself as usual. Uh, if you have questions, if you have questions, 929-477-2304. 929-477-2304. uh That's the Block Talk Radio number. And then if, you, if in fact, you, um, you're on Periscope with me tonight, then all you need to do is type your question in, and I'll see it, and I'll try to answer it. And if you type it in and it flashes by, I don't see it, type it in again. Eventually, I'm going to look down at that screen and see it. Anyway, so let's keep moving. So he says, he makes this oath, he says, I'm going to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and established David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. So now, this is a man determining, making a decision. And I've asked you the question, who is your king? And this goes beyond, this goes beyond this passage of scripture. Because if you think about it, a king is the one who's going to rule over you. And so I'm asking you tonight, who is ruling over your life? And there are a lot of men that think that they have the authority to make that decision for you. The lot of, but Think about it for a second. We let... We think sometimes that the government is the king. We thomta, sometimes think that our boss is the king I mean they determine when we gotta get up in the morning what time we need to be at work how long we gotta stay at work they're constantly yanking our chains telling us what we gotta do and what what we should do is your boss your king the laws of the land is that your king is that who you serve or well, maybe let's Let's go into the house of God. Is your pastor your king? Let's go, let's go into your house. Is your wife your king or your husband your king? Are you constantly serving and being manipulated by your children? Are they your king? Do you have some type of habit that is ruling over you? Is that your king? some type of unnatural desire is that your king the question on the table tonight is who is your king and when you read it in, and when you read this is the flesh going to decide is man going to decide who the king is or will it be god who has anointed a king, that you allow to be king. Hmm? Who's king? Verse 12. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, whose land is it? Remember that question? Whose land is it? Who is the king? And then he says, make an agreement with me, and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Good, said David, I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Mikael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to ish son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife Mikael, whom I betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. So Ismosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband, Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way to Bahurim. Then Abner said to him, Go back home. So he went back. Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and says, For some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now do it. For the Lord promised David, By my servant David I will rescue my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. Then he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin wanted to do. When Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner said to David, Let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my lord, the king, so that they may make a compact with you, and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. So let's look at that that piece. Now, first of all, David again, makes a real shrewd move because now he knows that, that Abner is going to be his emissary. He's going to be his ambassador to go to the rest of Benjamin, which is one of the tribe that Saul comes from, to persuade them to come over to David. He demands Mikael simply because she is in the house of Saul, and with he's going to marry and be recognized as Saul's son-in-law. So he's gaining favor through these marriages, and this woman belonged to him in the first place. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to get her back, and that's going to give me some inroads into Benjamin. That's going to endear me to them. This is, again, not so much a marriage of love, even though if we go back when Saul was chasing after David, it was Mikael that that hid David and, 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 and deceived her own father to protect him. But remember, she was given away to this guy, Patael, and because she was given to him, she's been married to him, oh, just off the top of my head, easily, about 15 years. By, yeah, about 15, maybe a little bit more years, they've been married. And so he demands her, and again, politics. But even underneath that, look at, look at this guy who thinks he's a kingmaker, and he's deciding for Israel Who will be king? Even though David is God's anointed, there's something working behind the scenes that that basically says there's somebody working behind the scenes who basically thinks that he has the power to make a king, and that's Abner, and so we know what happens here. Abner takes, and he is, um, and he 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 comes to David. He said he goes out and he he persuades the people because again he's the power behind the throne. When David sends to Abner and tells Abner that give me Mikael, okay? Abner just goes to to Ishbosheth and said give David that woman. Think about it. Ishbosheth knows what Abner is doing. Abner told him what he was doing, and Ishbosheth is such a weakling that he doesn't fight back. He just says, "You got to go." When you look, when you look in your life and you ask yourself, who is my king? If you're a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your mind and your heart should have just went right there and said, Jesus is my king, and I don't have no other. And in saying that, in saying that and in knowing that, that will give you a sense of peace that will pass all understanding. I know that right now we are going through a period of time in the United States and even all over the world, as a matter of fact, where everybody is upset because of the incoming president of the United States. I want you to think tonight, hold on. Yeah? He's the president of the United States, but Jesus is my king, and he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And when we look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, when we look to Jesus, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we think or imagine, when we claim him as King. We can relax, Gary, because we? we know he's not only the king, but he is the king of kings. Amen? Let's keep going. David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Just then, David's men and Joab returned from a raid and brought with them a great deal of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebron because David had sent him away. And he had gone in peace. When Joab, let me, let me go back, because I see, I see this phrase twice. Uh, back up in ber- verse 21, it says, so David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. And then it, down here in verse 22, it said, David had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. Now this peace is he had gone in shalom. He had left, and David had blessed him with all the blessings of God. He had left under the protection of God. He had left being provided for by God. He had left with David saying, do well. He had left with, with basically that, that term peace, that term shalom, means that everything that is going to cause you to prosper, David had spoke this over Abner's life, and Abner walked away in Shalom. So, verse twenty-three: When Joab and all his soldiers, with and all the soldiers with him, arrived, he told, he was told that Abner, son of Ner, had come to the king, and that the king had sent him away, and that he had gone in peace. So Joab went to the king and said, "What have you done?" Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he is gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything you are doing. Joab then left David and sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the well of Sirah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the gateway as though to speak with him privately and there to avenge the blood of his brother Ashael, Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. Look at this. i me show you two things real quick. One a deceptive man is in David's house. That deceptive man is Joab. Because Joab, who is a warrior, has revenge on his heart. Joab hates Abner. And there's two reasons why he hates Abner. Number one, he hates Abner because Abner killed Ashiar. Now, forget the fact that Abner kept telling them, look, man, go on. Forget that. Forget the fact that Abner told Ashael, look, I want to deal with your brother. So go on someplace. Forget that part. All Joab knows is this is the joker that killed my brother, and I'm going to get revenge. And notice the way he gets his revenge. He stabs him in the stomach. What did Joab do? I mean, Abner do to Ashael? Stabbed him in the stomach. And this law of an eye for an eye is being played out in our played out before our eyes. You see, when they when we talk about an eye for an eye, what they basically mean there is the punishment should fit the crime. That was the law, and so. Uh, that was a that was an idiom that says if you steal a cow, then you gotta pay a cow and a penalty. If you steal a cow, that doesn't mean that you gotta give up all of your land and all of your daughters and all of your sons and stuff like that. No, because that don't fit the crime. I stole a cow. So I'll pay a cow plus the penalty. That's an eye for an eye. But now, what he is, when we get into the area of murder, it was life for life. And so what Joab is doing here to Abner is he's saying, you took my brother's life, I'm taking your life. And so that seems on the surface lawful, but because David sent that man away in peace, he was covered. He was absolutely covered. And this city that David is in, this is one of the cities of refuge. Hebron was a city of refuge. So he should have been all right there. He could have been placed on trial, but he would have been exonerated simply because it was an act of war. But Joab is not satisfied because Ashael is my brother and you ain't getting away with nothing. The other thing, the other reason that That Abner is going to, uh, um, no, Joab is going to kill Abner. Is if Abner is successful in helping David unite the kingdom, guess what job he would be up for? He would be up for the same job that Joab has. So he is going to kill him because. of his brother, and he's going to kill him because he doesn't want this man to get the position that he covets. Those are the two things. So he tricks him without telling David, brings him back, and kills him. Later, I'm on verse 28. Later, when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May his blood fall upon the head of Joab and upon all of his father's house. May Joab's house never be without someone who has a running sore or leprosy or who leans on a crutch or who falls by the sword or who lacks food. Joab and his brother Abishai murdered Abner because he had killed their brother Ashel in the battle at Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and all the people with him. Or oh, let me stop at, let me stop at 31. So, in this passage, David first of all realizes that I have a problem with the death of Abner, who is a key influencer of the tribe of Benjamin and all of Israel, he has an issue that he must face because if the people think that he had anything to do with the death of of Abner, him being acclaimed and anointed king over all Israel is now in jeopardy because the Benjamites who would be loyal to Abner, who were so loyal to Abner that when Joab was fighting him before, they got in back of him and impeded the progress, literally, of Abner or Joab in that battle. Remember, go back to uh, chapter 2. It says the Benjamites came and basically bagged him up. And so they, they had a truce right then and there. These same Benjamites are now involved in making uh, 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 accepting David as king. And so what happens if all of them say, oh, wait a minute. He's going to kill one of us, and then he wants us to make him... No, that ain't going down. So David has to be shrewd now, and he has to distance himself from what Joab does, and that is what this speech is all about. And he lays it right on the head of Joab and Abishai, and he pronounces a curse on his, the household of Abner. Listen, listen to the curse. May Joab's house never be without someone who has a running sword or leprosy or who leans on a crutch or who falls by the sword or who lacks food. He's calling for a covenant curse on the house of Joab because of what he has done. Verse 30 or 31. Then David said to Joab and all the people with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and walk in mourning in front of Abner. King David himself walked behind the bier. They buried Abner in Hebron and the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb. All the people wept also. The king sang this lament for Abner. Should Abner have died as the lawless die, Your hands were not bound Your feet were not fettered; You fell as one falls before wicked men. And all the people wept over him again. Then they they all came and urged David to eat something while it was still day. But David took an oath saying, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. David mourns Abner. David mourns Abner with sincerity. David mourns Abner publicly. David treats Abner and gives him the respect that a warrior should have. Now remember, and I don't lose sight of this, that this man is a man of flesh, who took it upon himself to anoint a king. But look what happens in the providence of God. God, didn't look, God knew this was going to happen. God is going to move this man out of the way so people can see that there is one kingmaker in Israel. And his name is Yahweh. I appoint the king. You don't. So what does that mean? What does that mean to us today? And remember I asked the question, who is your king? Your king should be anointed by God. Who is the anointed king in your life? This passage points to Jesus himself because David is the anointed king who will rule Israel and bring and through him God will bring unity. Jesus is the anointed of God who has been made the ruler of all. It says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And so tonight I ask you the question, who are you confessing as king? Who are you confessing as Lord? And if you confess Jesus as your Lord, then who are you worshiping? Who is the ultimate one that you obey? Who is the one that you look to for your protection? Because the job of the king was to protect. The job of the king was to secure the land so there could be provision in the land. Who is providing your protection? Do you think it's that smitten Wesson that's in your pocket? Do you think it's that big old dog that you have roaming around your house? Do you think it's that six-foot-three man with all the muscles or that woman who goes around and, as they say, kickboxing and knocking people out and all of that stuff? Do you think it's the power that you have due to your position or possessions? Uh Uh-uh. Your king, my king, is the anointed of God. This passage makes us look at Jesus. This passage makes us worship him. This passage shows us that God, working behind the scenes, has anointed him to be our king. Let's finish this off real quick. All the people, let me go back and read 35 so I can, pick, I can keep your thoughts together. Then they all came and urged David to eat something while it was still day. Day. But David took an oath, saying, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. All the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people and all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. Then the king said to his men, Do you not realize That a prince and a great man is fallen in Israel this day, and today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak, and these sons of Zeruah are too strong for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. Now, when he says that these sons of Zeruah are too strong for me. He doesn't mean that 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 he doesn't have the ability to overpower them. Not what that says at all. He basically he's that word too strong for me. A better translation would be they are too shrewd. So basically, what he's saying in that passage is these boys right here, they some conniving ones. Ooh, I get to watch them. He said, I'm the king. But these boys, they got some stuff. They are low-down conniving ones, the sons of Zeruah. And you're going to hear that again. You're going to hear about them again and again throughout this. And as we sum this up today, the thing that we see is that David recognizes what he has. In the kingdom, he recognizes who Joab and his brother are, and so we'll see them again and again and their their dealings. Oh, by the way, these are his uh, these are his cousins, I think. I think they're his yeah they're it's either his cousins or his nephews, one or the other. I gotta I'll go I'll go back and look that up again because you know some stuff gets in my mind the wrong way. But they related to him. So, anyway, what we want to see here is that, and what we want to walk away with tonight, is an answer to the question, who is the king? Whose land is it anyway? Who is your king? That's what we see. We see the political intrigue that is, that's fallen all around us and you know how David is moving to consolidate the kingdom. And don't get me wrong, David is acting with wisdom, but he's also being ushered around these moves that he's making. He's also successful because God is ushering him and allowing him to make the moves that he makes. God's hand is all in this thing. We as people of God uh, and people of faith we have to what well, is it says, be as wise as a serpent yet gentle as a dove. God didn't call for us to be dumb, he didn't call for us to let folk just run over us or anything like that. No. But he does call for us to align ourselves with the with our King Jesus and then do according to what Jesus leads us to do. Yeah. And some of the moves that we make, all of the moves that we make are going to be godly moves. All of the moves that we make are going to be legal, lawful moves. All of the moves that we make are going to be wise moves. All of them should advance the kingdom of God. As we walk by the power of God, by his spirit, walk according to his word, being led by our king will never go wrong. Prayerfully tonight, you've answered that question about who's the king in your life. And you will join me next week as the king in Samuel, King David, ascends to the throne. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for all that you have told us. We thank you that our king is the anointed king, Jesus himself the king that you chose, and that we don't allow men to put kings on the throne of our life, that we choose Jesus, but we really don't choose him because he chose us. And so we thank you for your choice. We thank you that you anointed Jesus to be our king. We thank you, O oh God, tonight for this time of fellowship in the word, and we pray in Jesus' name that by your spirit that our lives will transform your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, to those of you who uh, are still with me, let me give you this blessing from Numbers, and we will call it an evening. Uh, Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you and keep you in Jesus' name. Amen.